Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gawaza, and uh, for today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, you know very interesting topic, at least you know for me as an economics nerd, and uh, that is the world of uh, they call it you know fixed income, and depending on what words you use out there, some people you know might refer to a piece of the universe as bonds, um, you know. So that's the conversation that we are going to be having. It is interesting that we are having this discussion um, a day after an interest rate decision. And, uh, you know, maybe we can understand, you know, what that means for that world. But at the, at the moment, you know, what do uh, what does fixed income look like as an investment out there? And to help us to make sense of it all, uh, we are joined by Lyle Sanker, who is uh, the head of fixed income over at uh, PSG Asset Management. And uh, he's going to be giving us a little bit of insight into the world. Lyle, greetings to you today. Hi, Madiwa. Thanks for having me today. Um, good place for us to start um, is we know that uh, you know PSG is probably one of the biggest fund managers in South Africa, uh, but when we think about uh, fixed income, you know, in your universe, uh, you know, what does that actually look like? What are you looking after? What are you interested in? What are you you know keeping an eye on on a daily basis? Yeah, so I mean, fixed income. I mean, really to the core of it is, is mostly for investors that are looking for some sort of regular income stream to come out of their investments. And these type of investors are typically looking to keep their capital very safe. So they're not looking for high risk. And, uh, they typically also want to manage their short term volatility. So, you know, as a product as a whole, you're thinking about investors probably closer to the retirement age. They're looking for a regular income. They don't want to lose money. Um, and that's sort of the universe we look at. When you think about what we need to consider to get that right for a South African investor, really you've got to look at the whole global macro. Um, you've got to look at what's happening in South Africa and try and distill whether the odds are in your favor of meeting those objectives. All right. Very interesting, you know, very interesting space. And I like the fact that uh, you've given us that definition that ties, um, you know, fixed income directly to trying to find an asset or an investment that gives you, I guess, a fixed rate of return of, uh, you know, of some sort. Now, uh, let's, before we get too far into the world of fixed income, maybe we can start off with the, you know, piece of news from this week. Uh, yesterday, there was an interest rate decision. Uh, tell us what that means for your world, you know, if anything at all. Is this something that you look at in the immediate to say that, you know, this is going to affect us today? Or are you more concerned when it comes to interest rates? Are you more concerned in, uh, you know, about the long term? How do you, um, you know, view a decision? decision like yesterday's yeah so so i mean the interest rate decision uh, by the reserve bank yesterday was to keep the repo rate unchanged and really that was sort of a split vote uh, by the members of the committee some looking to increase the rate by 0.25 percent and some looking to hold so i think the, the most important point when you're thinking about what the reserve bank does with the repo rate is it has knock-on effects right through the economy, right? So either to future growth, um, either to the future path of inflation, and then also for a fixed income investor, it impacts all the yields uh, that we can buy. And so if you're thinking about cash as a starting point, 
if you have a repo rate that today sits at 8.25%, that sort of sets a floor for what you can expect from fixed income investments. Um, so you shouldn't typically be earning less than what you can do on cash. And so it's quite important to obviously get a sense for where they're going with the repo rate. Um, we typically wouldn't try to time these meetings. It's not really our style. I think we try to think a bit longer term on what's the path, uh, you know, let's say over the next year to two years. But obviously, we want to get some insight as to what he thinks about inflation, what he thinks about growth in the economy. Uh, he also gives insight as to what he thinks is happening on a political side of, of, of things, what's happening with the fiscal side. So it's, it's very good insight. But more than that, I think, you know, yesterday the market sort of expected it to remain unchanged. Um, and then the impact has, you know, been fairly mute. What he did identify was that he's got a bit more uh, concerned about inflation. He believes inflation is going to be stickier for longer. They're looking at inflation averaging about close to 6% this year in 2023, and then next year somewhere around 5%. And then only in 2025, looking at a level closer to his midpoint target of 4.5%. So it sets a very difficult picture, I guess, uh, for the consumer who's, who's looking for the repo rate to come down. I mean, we know that mortgage costs are the highest it's been in quite some time. Um, and so if you have inflation that's only going to trend down later um, into the, the near-term outlook, I think, you know, we're probably in a place where the repo rates there and thereabouts, um, you know, at a, at a steep level for some time. All right. Uh, very interesting, you know, the fact that, um, you know, they decided to keep, um, you know, rates where they are. I guess for a person like me, uh, obviously, earlier in the week, we had that uh, decision that came out from the U.S. Federal Reserve, and we tend to, you know, follow the lead, um, you know, of the U.S. Fed in terms of, uh, you know, what's going on uh, from a monetary policy point of view. And I guess the que- for a person like myself, I'm sitting there and wondering, are we, does this mean that we have reached the top of the cycle? And I guess this is a sign that we're now plateauing, that we're going to hold steady for a couple of, uh, you know, MPC meetings before things come down. How are you thinking around something like that? Because I'm pretty sure that feeds into how you're making in, uh, what you call this um, investment decisions, or at least how you are advising clients um, to make their capital allocation decisions. Yes, it's it's quite interesting. I think I think the first point there is the governor would hate the point you made now. Um, <laughs> typically, hates when people when people say that he just follows the US. Um, so I think I mean broadly speaking, it's it's obviously it's central to um, develop market rates, and then therefore that impacts all emerging markets and and you'd expect South Africa to be sort of um, at the back end of of the influences of these major markets and I think yesterday's uh, or this week's notification or news from the Fed was that um, they're also concerned about inflation they're talking about potentially hiking one maybe two more times uh, and and then broadly sort of tra- bringing the the Fed funds rate down from there and the market hasn't really responded quite sharply to that and in South Africa, I think the, the impact has just been that, you know, it's an acknowledgement that, you know, rates are going to be high in developed markets, but they're probably at a, a sort of high level now. And um, let's not try to be too precise, but we're probably there and thereabouts. And then from a reserve bank perspective, I think, you know, the important thing is to consider uh, the impact of developed market rates on the RAND. If the Fed decides to continuously hike, um, that strengthens their currency versus ours. And then that puts pressure on the Reserve Bank to respond 
uh, by hiking as well. Um, what it means is that globally, you probably have a level set in developed markets now. We, I think, rates will probably be um, persistent at that level, but not much higher. And that gives us a chance then to do the same. Um, what's quite interesting, on the other hand, is that most will have sort of not focused on the fact that our peers, the likes of Brazil, Eastern Europe, uh, Chile, they've begun to cut rates already. And so there's equally the chance that, you know, we could follow similarly in their cycle um, if our inflation does uh, come under control and the Reserve Bank is confident we'll stay somewhere near the midpoint uh, of the target band. Mm. Uh, it is very interesting just to see what's been happening, um, I guess, in different corners of the world. You know, we often talk about the fact that um, COVID-19 and the post-COVID uh, period has been one of those few moments in history uh, where around the world everyone is facing the same issues. And at the moment, all central bankers are concerned with, um, you know, rising living costs and, you know, how do we, you know, wrangle them in. And I have to be honest that I actually feel sorry for a number of them because everyone is looking at them uh, to tame inflation, but there's only so much uh, that a central bank can actually do apart from trying to restrict money supply and increasing borrowing costs to some extent. But maybe at this point, Lyle, we can, uh, you know, switch gears a little bit to say as ordinary people or, you know, people making those investment decisions, coming back to the definition that you gave earlier on, people that are looking for those fixed returns. What are we looking at at the moment, right? When we think of fixed income, um, I told you earlier on that I typically think of bonds. Uh, but at the moment, how, you know, what's there to invest in? Is it just bonds? Um, is it cash? Because I think you, you you alluded to cash at the moment. So I'm thinking, I guess, the money market. I'm thinking about, you know, bonds. Uh, but, you know, from what you can see, what are the what are the options that are available to people at the moment? Yeah, sure. So, so I think, I mean, the important point to sort of start with is, I mean, it's been an extremely volatile backdrop this year. Um, you've had the Reserve Bank obviously increase rates. I think the total is about 4.75% since the bottom of the repo rate uh, a year and a half to two years ago. And so what that's meant this year is that your money market space, which basically follows and tracks the repo rate, re repo rate quite tightly, has had a great year. Um, because obviously this year we've increased the repo rate much more than we expected. And what this has meant is that investors who are sitting in sort of your money market type instruments, um, those funds have protected capital and uh, they've offered higher and higher yields as the repo rate has increased. So today, those funds probably offer you somewhere around 8.5%. You can account for fees as you need to. Um, and so it's 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 often seen as a very compelling opportunity. And I don't blame investors because there's been a barrage of negative news flow in SA and the global macro is quite volatile as well. But on the other hand, what you've had um, in this negative sentiment is that our, our local government bonds have continued to increase uh, or those yields have sold off further. Um, the average yield on that curve now is around 12%. Uh, but so that is a, a lot longer dated an instrument. And it's a consideration for income funds. But if you think about what that sets up today is that the potential from those bond deals 
uh, it becomes quite attractive, right? So you you have safety or perceived safety in your money market space, and you have these attractive bond deals out there. And so the key question we're sort of grappling with, and we find investors are asking the same, is should we bother moving from the safety of money markets to these bond deals? Now, I think there's one way where you can look at this, and I think it's a picture that people need to consider, is that when you enter some sort of rate cutting cycle, and I'm not forecasting it to be in the next three months, but at some point we have reached a point where the repo rate is now too high. And when that begins to trend lower, what will happen in that environment is your money market yields will trend lower as well, because they will also follow on the way down. But what happens from these long bonds is you get our performance from these because they're very correlated to the, the repo rate. So these bonds will begin to come down as well. And that will generate really, really good returns to the extent that you can get almost equity-like returns in your teens from the level of bond risk. So for an investor looking at the market now, um, I think it's a key question to ask is whether you have enough risk exposure to those instruments given the backdrop that we're looking at. And I think simply looking at the bond deals and saying, well, I could earn 12% from these, um, how do I get access to that? you have to start considering whether you want to move up the risk spectrum into the income fund space and even further the multi-asset income space. So I think from those funds, you can see very good returns. Well, our funds today offer running yields between 9 and 10%. And if you think about that in the next 12 months, it's a fairly decent return versus an inflation that's probably going to be around 5 Um, You're going to beat inflation by 5%. So I think you know, money markets in our mind, they are at risk of, of underperforming expectations and moving further out on the risk spectrum is something that we need to consider. And you don't have to take much more risk on your capital. Your capital will still be safe, but you can really enhance uh, your income potential here. I'm going to bring in uh, what I think is an interesting example. And uh, you are the expert here. So I am, I am the student. You are the teacher. And uh, I want to understand a question that I have in my head. One of the things that you've just highlighted is the fact that um, right now your money market types of investments are looking attractive because they are offering, um, they're currently offering higher, uh, what you call this, those higher rates of return. But you are sort of warning to say that those higher returns are not sustainable for the long term because at some point, you know, rates are going to turn downwards. And to sort of protect yourself long term, why not getting in, why not get yourself into, um, you know, something like, you know, a bond, you know, that's yielding 12% and all of that stuff. Silicon Valley Bank, right, was a huge bank collapse earlier this year. And one of the things that was interesting to me was the fact that they attributed, you know, part of the failure, not the whole thing, part of it, you know, simply to say we had a lot of money in bonds and, you know, the rates at which those bonds were set when they got into those, uh, you know, those investments, you know, this was a 0 to 1% type of environment in the United States for a long time. And now they got into a hiking cycle. So what they had, what they had and what they were sitting on, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't you? It was no longer uh, fit for purpose. You know, in in their portfolio. And I guess the question I'm asking in a very long-winded way is simply to say, 
if a person does get into the type of, uh, you know, that type of an agreement where they're saying, okay, fine, um, I'm listening to what Lyle's saying and perhaps I could consider, you know, getting something that's more long-term, you know, they are offering, you know, some of those bonds are offering 12% and the like. How do I protect myself, you know, and make sure that I'm still going to get that 12% you know, over time, because at some point, uh, the what you call this, the the, the rates are going to come down. Have I locked in my rates? Are the rates flexible? Because I'm pretty sure that these are some of the questions that the ordinary person might be asking themselves, um, you know, when they are approaching, you know, some of these things. Yeah, so I think with the, the idea with buying exposure to these longer dated bonds, uh, it remains the same is that we need to protect client capital and then, you know, we need to give them exposure when we think it's the right times in these bonds. Uh, you know, they've got enough margin of safety and that they uh, are not at risk of losing money. And I think with government bonds, although there are government bonds, you want to apply the same lens to them and you want to make sure that you don't end up in a situation like a Silicon Valley uh, where yields moved significantly against them and ultimately their balance sheet came unstuck. And I think, um, when you look at government bonds, the two things that really go wrong here is you lose control of your inflation or you have a debt issue. Um, and I think the first, we kind of spoke about that we're quite comfortable to say that, you know, we think our, our reserve bank is world class and they've displayed that for the for the very long term. And they will likely keep inflation under control to the extent that they um to the extent that their mandate allows. And I think inflation in SA is not going to be the, the likes of what you see in Turkey this year where they saw 80% inflation or even in developed markets where you see inflation sort of um, still being the battle that they're facing today. So from an inflation perspective, we're not going to have runaway inflation and therefore you, th- you you look at your bond deals and say, okay, that's not a big risk. The second part is obviously the debt. And I think the debt's the big concern of a year. And um, if you read any headline in the last couple of weeks, it's been pretty dire as a South African, uh, you, you sort of face with a barrage of news. And I think obviously the debt forecast is, the debt to GDP forecast is for 80% of, uh, of GDP in the next year or so, which is, which is quite high versus a 0.1% growth forecast. So low growth environment and debts rising. And obviously now we're looking at wider budget deficits. And I think the the key over here is is to do the work around this, and um, and focusing purely just on the debt to GDP number of eighty percent is probably going to leave you a bit misinformed on 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 the outcome potential here. Um, so we do a lot of work around it, and I think one of the key aspects that we look at is your structure of your debt, um, and that's quite key because if you look at South Africa, we don't have a debt to GDP that's really out of line with emerging markets. Brazil actually has a higher debt to GDP than us right now. Um, but if you look at the structure of the debt, it tells you, uh, the, it paints the picture of the scenarios in which you could lose money. So if you look at you know emerging markets or frontier markets that have lost money, they either had a lot of very short-term debt and when they needed to come back to the market, the market sort of said there was too much to, to absorb or they had an inflation issue or they had a current account issue. So if you look at South Africa's debt, we've got about 12% of our debt maturing in the next four years. Now, just mathematically, what that means is it's a long time for your interest bill uh, to gradually rise to the new levels we're issuing at. And so if you in the past were issuing at between 7 and 8% on average um, and new debt is now issued at 12%, uh, you don't have this high risk of your interest bill spiraling very fast. 
right? And the second thing is that debt maturity profile allows you the time uh, to sort out your growth constraints. So from an inflation perspective and a debt perspective, we actually don't think South Africa is in the risk category of a near-term debt issue. Um, and so what that means when you're looking at these bond deals, we think investors should be probably a bit more relaxed on the fact that our bond deals are so high relative to inflation, 6% ahead of inflation. You're probably protected for a lot of the sort of headlines that you see right now. Um, and we don't think you're going to lose money. And so that sets up a scenario where you're going to earn this great yield in the next couple of years. And let's say there's a slightly better environment a year to two years out when load shedding sort of subdues then there's the potential for that capital type returns or that equity-like return. So I think from the perspective of thinking about SA versus uh, potential for high uh, capital losses, it's, in our minds, it's actually a lot less than, than what you, know, you would see in the headlines today. All right. Uh, it, it is you know, quite a lot to digest when you think about, uh, you know, I guess the market dynamics, um, you know, from that point of view. And I'm grateful that, you know, you are able to give us such a comprehensive, um, you know, way to, I guess, think about, you know, what's going on in the market. And uh, before we land this conversation, because I am cognizant of time, one of the things that, uh, perhaps we could benefit from, you know, because you are dealing in this space is maybe getting a sense of, from what you can see, the interactions that you are having and all that what, on the ground, like, you know, people that you're dealing with, what is the concern right now, right, for people that are, you know, looking at fixed income as some way that they seriously want to place their money? Um, I guess some of the common questions that are being asked um, or, you know, perhaps the misconceptions that people are having, um, you know, in this space, because I'm sure um, that would, you know, certainly help someone who's perhaps thinking about getting into this asset class. Yeah, sure. So I think I think we covered sort of one or two of them already. And I think the key was whether it's time to take a little bit more risk uh, by moving a bit further into income funds that have exposure uh, to longer dated bonds. And I think, you know, we've, we have the view that you should be considering that now. Um, there's a lot that you could leave on the table if you don't have exposure to these bonds. The second is is obviously the debt issue in SA. And like I pointed out, I think we actually have quite a significant amount of time, um, albeit it's probably going to be a noisy environment that we operate in. So I would be less concerned about losing money there. The third thing is it's quite interesting is I think there's the big push for many local investors to move money offshore. Um, the idea being that the RAND will always just weaken and weaken. I think you've you've got to be very careful there. It's always valuable if you are able to do so to diversify yourself offshore. Um, but certain pockets of that market is very expensive. And also you do take the currency risk. So you make two critical calls here on the valuations of offshore assets as well as the currency risk. And I think just looking at the US bond market, for example, Fantastic yields are five times higher than they were uh, in recent years, the highest since the GFC levels. But we don't think those markets are exceptionally cheap like we're seeing in South Africa. They've actually still got an inflation problem right now. Um, as you saw with the Fed, they're still busy fighting a, a much higher level of inflation. And we think that will probably persist into the years ahead. And the second thing is when you look at the, these developed markets, they're often perceived as very safe assets. 
um, especially relative to, to your feeling around South Africa. But when you look at the debt in the U.S., they've got about 46% of their debt maturing over that same period we looked at in South Africa. And that paints a very different picture to what you have here. So all of a sudden, half of your debt's maturing and you've now got to refinance that at five times higher yields. We think both of these factors, inflation and higher debt and budget deficits that they are still printing, points to a picture of potential capital loss there where, like we saw in 2022, we could see these bond deals continue to rise upwards. So we look at using offshore as a diversification tool, but I think when you select anything further than, you know, cash in in dollars, I think you've got to be very careful. And I think that's one area that sort of concerns me. I think there's been a lot of flow outside of out of SA into the offshore markets that may sit in this market. And I think, you know, there's the potential for a very underwhelming experience in, in the next year or two. All right. So that's where we end off uh, today's discussion. It has been, you know, quite a fascinating one and very educational, um, you know, at least for me. And I'm sure uh, that many others uh, have learned a lot, especially around uh, the fixed income space. Um, some of the key takeaways, you know, from today uh, just have to do with the fact that uh, I like where we ended off with Lyle just talking about the fact that a lot is said um, about offshore investment, but the grass isn't always greener. On the other side, you always have to be thinking around, um, you know, throughout the discussion, he's been making the case, um, you know, of how do you balance um, the inflation, you know, in a particular country and it's uh, and uh, and and debt. Those are the two big things that have um, an impact um, on where we're going to be sitting when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to bonds and, uh, you know, fixed income investments. Also looked at, uh, you know, what's going on in the money market. And uh, yes, it's 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 been a good time. And he he highlighted the fact that uh, uh, money market type investments uh, have been a good way uh, that people have been protecting their their funds. Um, you know, in the last uh, you know couple of years, but some of that uh, you know interest rate growth that we have seen, it is not sustainable. At some point, things will turn. So you need to be thinking around how you allocate your capital. You know, you know more for the long term, and you know. One of the things to consider now is to say, you know, perhaps bonds or that type of thing, you know, would be a worthy investment. And then, you know, also just uh, we can't deny the fact that this week the biggest news out of the economy is that hold steady from an interest rate decision. And we took time, you know, to unpack what that means going forward. Hopefully we will get uh, Lyle back and, you know, as things develop um, in the market, we'll be able to chat with him a little bit more, um, you know, around some of the other actions that they are seeing in the market. So that's been it. We were in a conversation with Lyle Sanka, who is uh, the head of uh, fixed income over at PSG. Lyle, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Badiwa. Really good to be on your show. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, 
myself and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Thank you.